sincere desire this morning is that we not under-celebrate the gospel. It, it ought to be, let me, let me go this far, it ought to be our waking passion to not let a day go by where we are not seeing and savoring the beauty of Christ and what God has done for us in Christ. Yeah, I know it's it's hard to it's easy to hesitate to amen that because isn't it true that a lot of days go by without us seeing and savoring the beauty and worth of Christ and what He's God has done for us in Him. Yeah, yeah, I, I can easily see and savor a lot of other things that are so much lesser value than that, you know. And you know, here's the thing: we do that all in the pursuit of what we might call the good life. How many of you want a good life? Yeah, we want a good life, right? And you know what? Here's what God says. I want to give you a good life. I want to give you a good life. The question is, how do we define good? What does the Bible call good? And that's where we're at in the book of Acts this morning. If you want to take your Bibles and turn with me to Acts chapter 20. We've arrived at Acts 20. We're going to look at just a few verses from this chapter today starting in verse 17. Verse 17, we'll read down to verse 25. Acts chapter 20, verse 17 through 25. So what, before we read, let me give you a little context, okay? Uh, we, we've talked about the fact that the apostle Paul, who was formerly Saul, took three missionary journeys in his career as a missionary. Um, the first one began in Acts chapter 13 when he and Barnabas set out from Antioch. The second one began in Acts 15 when Paul and Barnabas had a big argument. You remember that? They had a big argument over John Mark. They split ways. Paul took Silas and took off on his second missionary journey. The third missionary journey actually began in Acts 18 verse 23. Paul has gone through Phygeria. He's gone through Galatia, uh, which is modern-day Turkey. Uh, and he went through Ephesus. He actually spent three years in Ephesus. It was his longest stop in, in, his entire mission, in the entirety of all his missionary journeys. He stayed in Ephesus for about three years. And somewhere around A.D. 56, 58, somewhere around in there, Paul, Paul spent the winter in Corinth. And then he's coming back. He's on his way to Jerusalem. He's in a hurry. He's trying to get there for Pentecost, okay? And, but he wants to talk to the Ephesians, but there's not time to talk to all of the whole church. So he calls for the Ephesian elders as he's passing by Ephesus to come out and meet with him. He wants to have a little chat with him while he's on his way to Jerusalem. Everybody know where we're at now? Okay, verse 17, this is his little chat with the Ephesian elders. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, which is where Ephesus is, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews." How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews, to Greeks, of repentance toward God, and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So which direction, past or future, is Paul looking right now? Past, right? 
He says, hey, Ephesian elders, let's take a look back. All right? And these are not just sort of interesting reminiscences. Okay? He's looking back and he's saying, look, this is how I served the Lord among you. And he's not doing that to toot his own horn. He's doing that because he says, look, Ephesian elders, this is how you serve the Lord for the good of the church. Elders at Resurrection Church, this is how you serve the Lord for the good of the church, just like I did. Resurrection Church people, this is what you pray into your leaders, is that they serve the Lord this way. And everybody in the body of Christ, this is what we imitate as it applies to us. You with me? Paul's looking back. Okay, and the Ephesian elders are probably saying, yep, amen, Paul. That's exactly what happened. You didn't back down from preaching to us anything that was good. You served the Lord. You served the Lord with humility. You served the Lord in tears. You served the Lord through trials. You spent three years with us, and man, look what God has done. Do you know that actually in Paul's time there in Ephesus, he, God did such incredible miracles, so many Demons were cast out that it actually turned a very large, very economically, economic, prosperous uh, city upside down. People were abandoning the occult left and right, so much so that they, Luke says they burned books that were worth 50,000 pieces of silver. I don't know what the modern day equivalent of that is, but I know Judas sold his soul for 50 pieces of silver. 30, excuse me, 30 pieces of silver. I've been in Haiti for a week. It's my excuse for everything until at least next Sunday. 30 pieces of silver, 50,000 pieces of silver. There were silversmiths. A big part of the economy were silversmiths in Ephesus that made these little statues to the god Artemis. And there was a temple and a shrine to the god Artemis in Ephesus. But... Paul's ministry was so impactful there, people stopped buying the statues. And these silversmiths caused a riot because they're like, look, we've lost everything because of this guy Paul, right? Paul's looking back with the Ephesian elders at an incredibly fruitful time of them. Yes, with humility, with tears, with trials. But man, he's looking back going, look what the Lord did. You with me? Amen? Now, next verse, verse 22. And now, so we're shifting, looking in the past, let's look to the future, and now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained, compelled, bound by the Spirit, that's what that word means, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me that in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you, none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. So this is it. Ephesian elders, we're not going to see Paul again. So Paul takes a look back. Let's, let's talk about what he says in his look back. Look at verse 18 or 19 one more time. 
he looks back and he says, serving the Lord, I serve the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. So the first thing is he says, I served the Lord. In other words, let's do this real quickly, okay? In other words, I didn't serve people directly. I wasn't trying to get praise from people. I wasn't looking for recognition from people. I wasn't trying to just, you know, get money or gain influence because I had an agenda. Paul's basis for his ministry in Ephesus was he served the Lord. His love, his affection for Jesus overflowed in service to the Lord. That's fundamentally why Paul serves. You with me? And he says, I serve the Lord with humility. Everybody say humility. What does that mean? I think humility is a word that we could probably unpack and say a lot of things about. I think it means at least two things, and one gives rise to the other. One is, Paul served as though he owed God everything. What did we just sing about? Raised to life. People don't, dead, spiritually dead people don't raise themselves to life, right? God does that. God saves us. We owe everything to him. We brought nothing to God of value. God made us righteous in our unrighteousness. God made us worthy in our unworthiness. God made us valuable even though we were destined for wrath. Right? We are the children of God. Oh, what love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. Paul got that. And so he served the Lord as though he owed the Lord everything. Right? God can do with Paul whatever he pleases. And Paul's great with that. Right? So humility at least means that Paul served the Lord as though he owed the Lord everything. But it also means that Paul served people. As he serves the Lord. And he served people as though people owed him nothing. Right? I don't know about you, but I've been in places, I've been in contexts where I've served other people and they haven't so much as given me a thank you. Am I the only one? Does anybody have children in here that you've done stuff for them and they've never said thank you? Sometimes I look at them and I go, Seriously? I, I, you know, when we were in Haiti, I'll tell you this one story. I got attacked by bees. <laughs> Stop laughing. We were trying to paint an eave on this house, and th- there were these palm trees that were leaning up against the eave. And so Rick Smith, I don't think he's in, he must have been in the first service. Rick Smith was up on the top of the, the eave, laying down, trying to get to paint the eave like this. And I was pulling these palm trees back so he could get to it and get this corner that we couldn't reach. And all of a sudden I thought, man, something just stuck me in the back of the head and then all of a sudden in the back of the ear and then I heard somebody holler, bees! And I took off running, right? And it was pretty traumatic. You get attacked by Haitian bees. I don't know. I mean, these little jokers, but they hurt. And there was this young man who lived at the home we were working at. His name was um, Ricardo. He's special needs, doesn't speak a lick of English. Um, but after that happened, Ricardo, whom we were there to serve, he walked up to me, put his arm around me, and he couldn't speak in English, but he just looked at me with a very concerned look, and he kind of nodded. He was trying to make sure I was okay. 
And I was like, that fueled me for the rest of the trip. It's all I needed was just him being so grateful that I was there to serve him. He was concerned that I got stung by bees. And none of the other team members, by the way, were concerned about me. <laughs> Don't look at me like that. I'm just kidding. They were very concerned. But we don't serve with humility because we want something from the people we serve in the Lord's name. We serve people. Paul served people as unto the Lord. He served people on the basis of what God had done for him, not what people were going to reciprocate to him. With me? So Paul says, I serve with humility. I serve the Lord. I serve the Lord with humility, and I serve the Lord with tears. Why do you cry? Think about that. What, what makes you cry? I, I cry when I get mad sometimes. I cry when I'm disappointed, discouraged. I cry when I see heartbreaking things, when I experience heartbreaking things. I cry when I suffer loss, frustration. I cry sometimes when I'm happy. You do that too. Paul never says why he cried in Ephesus. I would imagine he probably cried for all those reasons, maybe a few more. But let's just talk about what's the basis for Paul's tears. What's the basis? The basis for his tears, I think, and I'll show you where I anchor this in Scripture. The basis for his tears, I think, is that his joy in Christ, his worship to God, his service unto the Lord as though he owed God everything, Okay, It overflowed into humility, into humble service to people, putting the needs of others ahead of his own as unto the Lord to such an intense degree that he actually cried in their struggles. Not in his struggles, in their struggles. It means he got so involved in the lives of others that their struggles produced tears in his own eyes. Let me show you where I anchor that. Romans chapter 12. Look at that with me. If you want to flip in your Bibles. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Look at this. Paul writes and says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters. I got the wrong translation in my notes. Let me just read the book here. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. In other words, in view of all that God has done, in view of his mercy, we are to come to God with our whole self and go, God, here, I'm yours. You did that for me. You made me righteous. You saved me. You took out my heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. Whereas my heart before, if you pricked it, it wouldn't flinch. But now when you prick my heart, it overflows. It's sensitive. It's responsive to you now. And that's all a credit to you. So in view of that, I'm going to take my whole life, my time, my talent, my treasure, my, my, my physical being, my mental being, my spiritual and emotional being, all my money, I, everything that I have, I'm going to give it to you and say, God, here. In view of that, that's where it starts. Worship, okay? I served the Lord, okay? I served the Lord with humility. Look at verse 3, chapter 12, Romans. 
He says, For by grace given to me, I say to every one of you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So this white, hot worship to God has overflowed into humility. Is that the more I think about what he's done for me and the more I present myself to him, the more my focus becomes him and not me. The more I'm focused on making much of him and less of me. You with me? So it overflowed into humility. Where does it go from there? Look at verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. When, when, when you get so overwhelmed and consumed with all that God's done, and that produces white-hot worship where you present your whole self to Him. You're going to be more focused on Him than you are yourself. I'm going to be more focused on Him than I am myself. And that's going to lead to service. Service to others in His name to such a degree that I actually cry with them in their struggles. Their pain becomes my pain for His name's sake. And I do all of that with joy. You with me? That's what Paul says... My time, Ephesians, with you was like. So he serves the Lord. He serves the Lord with humility. He serves the Lord with tears. And he serves the Lord through trials. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here because we know that Paul has suffered greatly, right? We know that. He went through all kinds of incredibly difficult, discouraging, frustrating, painful experiences in his service to God so much so that when he got to Corinth in Acts 18 he was done and Jesus had to show up and say keep going Paul and even in Ephesus among his service to the Ephesians he experienced the same thing look at 1 Corinthians 15 Paul's writing the Corinthians but he's talking about what happened in Ephesus and he says if I fought the wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes what have I gained if the dead are not raised, let us eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. In other words, Paul doesn't persevere through trials because his hope is anchored to human reward, right? To temporary things. He's looking for an eternal reward. So, Ephesian elders, look back with Paul. He served the Lord. He served the Lord with humility. He served the Lord through tears. He served the Lord through trials. Now, Let's look back in your life and my life. Can, can you find one of those moments if you've been journeying with Jesus for a little while? Can, can you remember one of those moments where there was just such, you had such a sense of God's mercy and His goodness and His love that it overflowed in white, hot worship. I see some nods, yeah. You, you can look back and you go, yeah, I remember that. It's incredible. I was so overwhelmed with him. And that overflowed into humility where I literally came to the place where I said, God, my life's yours. You do with me whatever you want. No strings attached. No, no ifs, ands, or buts. I'm yours. Send me 
wherever you want. Lead me through whatever you want. Take me to whomever you want. I'm yours. I'm going to, you, you just, your joy was so great. You were like, God, I'm at your disposal. Anybody would just raise your hand and say you find a moment in your life like that. Raise your hand if you can. Yeah. All right. Hold on to that. And can you also find a moment where that willingness led you to serve others and get so intensely involved in their lives, their struggles, that you actually shed tears for them, not for yourself, but for them? Can you, can, can you remember? You got that moment? Okay. And can you also find a moment where even through trials, pain, sacrifice, maybe even persecution, you continued to serve and you persevered and you can look back on that and you can see where God was faithful and you can now, looking back, see the good that he brought out of it. How many can find a moment, at least one moment in your life like that, right? Yeah, you can find it. We can all look back. We can look back, we can listen to Paul, we can listen to him looking back, we can look back ourselves and we can find those moments and we can go, yes, amen, God is good. And everything I experienced, the humility, the tears, the trials, it was worth it. You with me? Come on. I just need to make sure you're with me. You can look back and say, yes, amen. Amen. It's not hard to do that. Now look forward. When you look forward, you look back, yes and amen, but when you look forward, do you joyfully anticipate, and I choose those words very carefully, joyfully anticipate serving the Lord with more humility, more tears, and more trials. Do you look forward and go, after looking back and going, man, that was awesome what God did. That was awesome how he, he used me. There was such joy in that. Do you look forward and go, I want more. See, I think there's a transition that happens when we go from looking back to looking forward. And the transition is we go from celebrating all that God did in our past through our service and humility, tears, and trials. And we look forward and something shifts. We start to anticipate a different kind of future that maybe doesn't look like the past. And we do that because we're trained Americans. We're good, trained Americans. We look forward, and instead of anticipating and planning for and striving for more humility, service, tears, welcoming the trials, welcoming the uncertainties of tomorrow, we look forward and we anticipate a comfortable retirement. Am I losing you? Comfortable retirement, the point where all the pain ceases, where instead of thinking about other people, I get to tend to myself. I get to deal with my own needs, my own struggles, my own comforts. I get to focus on that finally. Yeah, God did some awesome stuff, and that was great. Amen, hallelujah, praise the Lord. But I'm headed towards the good life. 
the American dream, isn't it? The American dream that tells us, let, let me just, a little disclaimer. Sometimes you preach and you feel like you're, you're teaching from a place that you've, God's really processed in you already. And you, want, and you kind of want to pull and encourage people to come along. I really need to come and sit in that seat and talk, talk to all of us. Because I'm not here either. I look forward and instead of joyfully anticipating what I've seen God do in my past, I have a picture of a different kind of future sometimes where I just get to do what I want to do. And if Paul says in verse 20, I didn't back down from teaching you anything that would be profitable. I got to be a good pastor and I got to do the same thing and say to me and you, there is nothing, almost nothing, I'll say it that way, almost nothing that will conflict more with your genuine pursuit of Jesus, treasuring Him above all else, and presenting yourself as a living sacrifice to Him. There is nothing, almost nothing, that will conflict with that more than the American dream. Why? Because the American dream trains our focus on lesser temporary treasures. It tells those of you that are nearing retirement or in your retirement years, it tells you that the best thing you can do with your remaining time is take care of yourself. Enjoy the fruits of your labor. Rather than take the last 10, 15, 20 years of your life where you may, might be least encumbered by the cares of this world, maybe, some people get that luxury. Take that and spend it on yourself instead of giving it away in service to the king because 10, 15, 20, 40, 50 years in this life is nothing compared to eternity. Paul had his eyes on something far greater than retiring in Florida and playing shuffleboard. We laugh, but isn't that... Isn't that the carrot that's dangled in front of us? Am I the only one that sees that? It's like, it's the carrot that's dangled in front of us. You look forward to the good life. And so what happens is, when there's a call to serve, we got all these stipulations. I'll serve when it fits in my calendar. I'll serve when I feel like it. I'll serve when I'm not tired. I'll serve when I'm not sick. I'll serve when my marriage gets better. I'll serve when my children grow up. I'll serve when I've got more energy, more time. more. I, I, right now, I've just got too much going on. I can't serve the Lord with gladness and humility, tears and trials. I've just had too much pain. We, 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 we look forward and we think the, the, the pinnacle of life is where I get to be carefree and attend to me. Is that what Paul saw? After he looked back, he saw all that the Lord had done. 
22. He looks forward. And he says, and now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained, compelled, bound by the Spirit. Let's just stop right there. Paul is living what he preaches. He, like you and I, was once a slave to sin. That song we sing, I'm no longer a slave to fear to sin, to whatever. I'm a child of God. He was once a slave to sin, and now he's a slave to righteousness. He's bound by the Spirit, compelled by the Spirit, not against his will. God has arrested his passion. God has arrested his affection. Paul's not doing what he thinks he has to do. He's doing what he wants to do. Philippians 3, verse 8. I consider everything loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish. In other words, I'm glad I lost it. I rejoice in the loss of temporal things for Christ's sake. Because Christ is better. He's better. I mean, he's compelled by the Spirit. Can you imagine? Paul's sitting there with the Ephesian elders, and he's telling them after they look back, going to Jerusalem. Can you imagine if they looked at him and said, Paul, look. You've had enough. I mean, you've done more in two missionary trips than most people hope to do in five lifetimes. You've been beaten enough. You've been stoned enough. You've been rejected enough. You've been shipwrecked enough. You've suffered enough. Timothy, he's growing up. Still got a little bit to learn. Preached a really bad sermon last week, but we had a little talk with him. You know, John Mark, he bailed on you, but he's coming back around. Barnabas is good. Silas is good. You, you, you put us in, let us take it from here. You go get you a little cottage in Antioch, because they seem to really like you there. You just put your feet up. We'll take it. I think he'd have pulled a Keith and punched them all in the face. I think he would have gone, what? I, I, I'm not, I'm, I know I'm being a little theatrical, but I, I literally think Paul would have looked at them and gone, have you lost your mind? Put that Philippians 3 back up there. I've suffered the loss of all things because of the surpassing worth of Christ. Go ahead and go to verse 10. I think I gave you that one too. That I may know him in the power of his resurrection and I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, verse 11, that I may by any means possible, that I may obtain the resurrection from the dead, verse 12. Not that I've already obtained this, or that I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because of Christ Jesus, who has made me his own. 
feet. Are you crazy? You think I'm going to get a cottage in Antioch and put my feet up? No way. I'm bound by the Spirit. I'm going. And I'm going not knowing what's going to happen there. So he says, I, I, I don't know what's going to happen to me there. I just know that the Spirit testifies to me that in every city I go to, there's going to be prison and pain. That's what's happened and that's what I expect more of. Paul is compelled by the Spirit and he's joyfully content with the unknown. Looking forward. And he's not only joyfully content with the unknown, he's joyfully content with the specifics of the unknown, knowing generally that though I don't know what tomorrow holds exactly, I know it's probably going to hurt. Let's go. I want it. Christ is worth it. Paul, how, how do you get to that place? That's, that's what, well, I read this and I go, oh. But he says it. Here's how he got there. I'm going to Jerusalem, verse 22, not constrained, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Here's how he got there. I do not account, verse 24, my life of any value, nor is precious to myself. What? It, it, here's how, this is the only way I can understand that this happens. That I don't count my life of any value anymore. Is that I see and savor the beauty and worth of Christ to such a degree that all that really matters to me is Him. All I really want is Him. I don't care what I have materially. I don't care what I go through physically. I don't care what I have to lose. I want Him. I want His kingdom. Because life is a temporary, momentary affliction. I count my life. I, value, I don't value my life. Don't count it as precious to myself. Here's what he values. If only I may finish my course and the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus. All I want is to finish the work he gave me to do. Sounds a lot like Jesus, doesn't it, when he comes to the end of his life and says, Father, I thank you. I did everything you gave me to do. That's what a disciple of Jesus lives for. And it's interesting how we can all look back and celebrate that kind of life. There's joy in it. Joy that far exceeds the moments in life where we're just attending to ourselves. I, I, I'm, I'm not exaggerating. But this past week in Haiti, it was so hot. 
I can't even begin to describe it to you. And how many of you have ever been to a city dump? Does it stink? Imagine spending all of your time, all your days, in a place that is so hot and humid, and 24-7 it smells like a city dump because there's trash everywhere. Everywhere. What do you mean everywhere? I mean everywhere. The smell of burning plastic all the time because that's how they're trying to get rid of the trash. And here's what I can honestly say. I think our team would echo. As hard as that was, it felt like a vacation. I'm not, I don't feel tired. I got to spend a week laying down the burden of me and attending in the name of the Lord to the burdens of others. Awesome. And you've been there. I've been there. I don't have to convince you of that. We look back in all of our past and we find those moments and yet we strive toward the opposite. Does that seem insane to anybody else but me? I want to punch myself in the face. <laughs> here's, here's, here's what I think, I've got to hurry. Here's what I think makes the transition for us from looking back to looking forward. It's the question, what if? I don't know about you, but I can look into my tomorrow and I can find a dozen what ifs that will make me miserable. What if my obedience to God puts my job at risk? What if my future involves loving my spouse without anticipating it being reciprocated? What if obedience to God looks like sharing the gospel with my father and he rejects me. What if looking forward into my future means God, obedience to God means I surrender my finances that he gave me in the first place and I never achieve financial security? What if? It's a question that because of how finite and limited our perspectives are, it's rooted in pessimism, skepticism, and it leads us into selfish decisions. Here's what I want to do this morning. Let's stand the what-if question on its pessimistic little head. What if I could see and savor the beauty and worth of Christ to such a degree what if that's what he wants for me? That it would overflow into white, hot worship. And what if that white, hot worship, seeing and savoring his beauty and worth, overflowed into such joy that I simply said, God, here's my life. Here's everything. Take it all. Do with it what you want. 
I don't care as long as I am dead center in the center of your will. Here. And what if that kind of worship and sacrifice overflowed into humility where I served the Lord as though I owed everything to Him and I served people in His name as though they owed me nothing in return? And what if that kind of service led me to get so involved in the struggles of others that I actually cried with them? And what if there was such joy in that and freedom in that that I actually persevere? I I trust God and I lean on His faithfulness through trials and pain and persecution and resistance and obstacles. What if it's possible that when Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more That's actually the good life. Because you know what that sounds like to me? Stop and think about it. Stop and what if your life that way. If you just, maybe just this week, sit down, get a piece of paper, and what if your life in that direction? I think you'll come to the same conclusion that I did. It sounds, it smells, and it tastes like freedom. Whom the sun sets free. I'm not bound by the empty promises and the temporary rewards of the American dream. Isn't that a weight? You ever feel weighted down by the pressure to have what they have? To achieve what they've achieved? To get comfortable? You ever feel bound to that? I feel bound to that sometimes. I feel like I've got to strive for that. I feel like I've got to work for that. That's what what I'm laboring for. That's what I'm working for. What if God wants to flip that script in your life and mine? There are, I could probably come up with two, three, four, five, one word, one sentence, summaries of the entire Bible, I think. I I think I could. There's there's several that come to mind. But, But here's one. What I think God is saying through His Word to all of humanity, here's one summary, I think, of the entire gospel, the entire scripture. It's not everything, but here's at least one. Don't settle. Don't settle for less than what I'm offering. It'll come with humility. It'll come with tears. It'll come with trials. It starts with worship and saying, giving me your life. But in it is joy joy unspeakable, full of Don't settle. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus, these words to me reverberate in my soul. That's the best word I can come up with because I don't know, I don't know what word I could use to describe the weight, and by weight I don't mean a burdensome weight, I mean the, the, the weight of glory and beauty 
in these two little verses from Jesus' own mouth. Let me just read them. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Doesn't that in and of itself just turn everything upside? Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Next verse. For what does it profit a man if he gain the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Here's where I feel led to end this. Is I think there are some folks in this room that the Spirit of God is going to lead you as we sing to surrender your pursuits of lesser treasures. To surrender your chasing. It's almost like Jonah. Just He tried his best to run. <laughs> but let me just tell you something, and I, I know this from experience. I tried to run too. And if God's laid hold of your life, he's not going to let go. And you can keep fighting, but he'll win. So why not just why not just let him fill you with what Psalm 16 says, in my presence is fullness of joy. You're chasing after stuff that at best gives you a little bit for a little while. I'll give you fullness. I'll give you pleasures at my right hand forevermore. And when I do that, your what if is going to completely change. Your life's going to change. You're going to be transformed. So could we just let God revive us this morning in his story? Can we do that? Can we do that before we go stand with me? Lord, I want the good life. Not the life that this world promises me, but the life that you've promised me. I want it. I'm not there yet. I'm like Paul, and my friends are like Paul, that we haven't obtained this kind of life yet, this kind of pursuit yet, but we want it. We desperately want it. There are people in this room with me right now that are asking you for it. And so Jesus, I pray that every pursuit of lesser treasures, whatever they are, material wealth, ambition, recognition, success, lust, pornography, sexual deviance, whatever addiction, drugs, alcohol, Whatever lesser pursuit, we surrender it right now to you. Take all of us and bring the ruins to life. In Jesus' name, amen.